Now that's the closing scene of the movie that I showed you the opening scene to last week. Now you're on your own to get the hour and a half in between, okay? We're not, we're not going to show all that this morning. That's from the uh, kind of what I call a cult classic now, the A Christmas Story. And uh, if you're familiar with that movie, you know it does, or at least in my opinion, does a pretty good job of defining the American Christmas. I mean, it has everything in there from the, from the gift that we dream about and want with all of our heart to the gift that you dread opening to the parade, to going and getting the tree, to the hecticness and busyness of that day and just everything that goes on. And it even concludes with the closing scene. That, that moment right there, I think, is a part of the American Christmas. That last moment where maybe just for a moment during this day, we realize, hey, this is actually about something bigger than we just did all day long. That moment where we get, as Silent Night plays quietly in the background, that moment where we get a faint hint of Jesus. Is that faint hint enough? You know, I think if your home is like mine, no matter how good your intentions are to really focus on Jesus, boy, this is really going to be about Jesus. But you know, in my home, starting somewhere, I guess about lunchtime on Christmas Eve, it just kind of goes into cruise control into everything that happens, right? I mean, there's, there's finishing wrapping gifts, and there's assembly, and there's meals to get ready, then there's unwrapping gifts and reassembling, and then there's getting more meals prepared, and there's somewhere in there is maybe a Christmas Eve or a Christmas morning service, and I know a lot of you got to get to multiple houses and touch bases with several families for it to count, and there's all this going on, and pretty soon it's, it's nighttime on Christmas Day. And you've run through this system that we run through year after year after year. And now we're just grasping to get, to get a moment. Just a moment to try to stop and acknowledge what this day is all about. Is that moment, is just a faint hint enough? Now you may be thinking, well, is it enough of what? what? What do you want from me? Well, actually, I don't want anything from you. And this sermon, this message this morning is really not about what you do or what you don't do on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. But I think my challenge this morning is a little bit bigger than that. It's maybe the question, are we living Christmas Day in reality like we live every day of the year? Just trying to grab a faint hint of Jesus. We want Jesus, right? We want God. We want Jesus. We want His reality in our lives and the, and the difference that can make. And you know what? God wants it too. God wants you to know the reality. God wants you to know what He can be in your lives. What about that verse, Isaiah seven fourteen? It says, therefore, the Lord gave us a sign. A sign of what? A sign that He's real. A sign that He loves you. A sign that he wants to be involved in your life. And what is that sign? A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and his name shall be what? Emmanuel. What's that mean? God with us. God with us. God wants you to know he's here and he wants you to know that he is with you in the nearness of God. God being with us ultimately is the answer to every single issue in our lives. It is because of Christmas, it is because of Jesus that we can have that great promise, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So when I ask that question, is a faint hint enough? I guess I'm asking, is that just trying to grab a moment and acknowledge him? A moment of quietness, a moment of stillness. Is that enough to get God in my Christmas? Is that enough to get God in my life? Is that what drawing near looks like? Now, you know, I ask that question and right away I'm, I'm bothered by my own question because my question kind of implies that there is some level of effort, some level of work on your part that, that makes God come near. And that's not anything like what the Scripture teaches. Our effort, our movement, is not what makes Jesus God with us. And yet, there's still the question, isn't it? There's this promise. There's this opportunity. You draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Well, what is drawing near to God look like? I think we can look at the Christmas story. No, not the one Ralphie's in, but the one in the Bible. I think we can look at the Christmas story, and if you think about it, we see people all in and around and near God. They're near God. And for some of them, that's a life-changing experience. And for some of them, it's just another baby and another day, isn't it? For some of them, nothing changes. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference in the people that have those two very different experiences? Now, you know, if you're not, if you're not looking for a life-changing experience with God, then I, I don't guess it matters what the difference is. But if you, if you want God, then that difference is pretty important, isn't it? Let's see if we can look at some of the characters in the Christmas story and see if we can find out what that difference is. Would you turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2, third book into the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, if your Bible got snowed out, uh, we've, got, we've got Bibles in the chairs in front of you and around you. You can't reach it. I know you can point to it. Somebody will hand you one. Luke chapter 2. Now let me tell you who we're not going to look at this morning. We're not going to look at, uh, we're not going to look at Mary. We're not going to look at, we're not going to look at Joseph. We're not going to look at the shepherds. Now, if you'll go home and look at your little nativity set, you'll say, well, who's left? That, that sounds like everybody. You know, you know we're not going to look at them because uh, as I was studying their, their response to the nearness of God, you know what? They had help, didn't they? They had supernatural help. They had an angel. All of them individually had an angel come to them and say, Psst, hey, God's coming near. Don't miss this. Now, I suppose if an angel would come and announce that to me, I'd probably tune in a little better, wouldn't you? Yeah, but most of us aren't going to have that experience. So I'm not going to look at them for a model. I'm going to look at at least one person I think we do know pretty well. Boy, we have made him out to be a bad character, and I, I really don't think he's probably really any different than anybody in this room. We're going to look at the innkeeper. And then we're going to look at two characters that do kind of get left behind in the Christmas story, and that's Anna and Simeon. Let's look at these three and see if we can find out if a faint hint is enough. If just a moment will bring God into our lives. Let's look at the innkeeper first. Luke chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. Boy, manger sounds so much better, doesn't it? You know what a manger is, don't you? It's a feeding trough. But scratch that out and say manger. It just sounds more romantic. Laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the innkeeper is pretty close to God, isn't he? I mean, really, how many people can answer the great philosophical question, where's God? With the answer, he's out back. I mean, this is pretty close. The innkeeper has God in his backyard. Now, we vilify this poor guy, don't we? Are you going to have no room in your life like the innkeeper had no room? You know, bless his heart, the guy slammed full. What's he supposed to do? If you stop and think about it, he actually did make room, didn't he? I, I doubt he sent many guests out to the barn. He did try to do something, but he still missed God. I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think he, you know, he's too full for God. He's just full. And he, and he missed God. I mean, we don't have a lot of information, but it seems like he did not really know, understand, or acknowledge his proximity to the living God of the universe. Now, you might ask, well, well why is that? Well, maybe, maybe it's because he's a sinner. Well, yeah, he is a sinner. Just like, uh, well, Mary and Joseph and all the other shepherds out there, just like you and me. That really wouldn't distinguish why he didn't experience God. The only clue from the text we can get for why he didn't experience God is because the end was full. I mean, folks, don't, don't make that something different than today. If, if the hotel's full, the hotel's full. If you're running the front desk, if you're the manager, the owner of the hotel, and, and you've got 20 people deep in line, you've got the phone ringing off the hook, people are trying to get in, people are trying to now sleep in the lobby, the guy in room 317 wants his towels, it's the third time he's called, the guy in 214 wants the pillow, he still needs another pillow, the people who just checked into 153 opened the door and it wasn't clean, it wasn't ready. I mean, the guy's going nuts. He's doing the best he can. His inn is full. But he misses God. But that doesn't make him any different than anybody in this room, doesn't it? H haven't we all been there? I'm not even distinguishing whether you're a believer or not. As an unbeliever, we can be there. As a believer, we can be there. We're full. As a matter of fact, when we're full, that's why we kind of hope that just a faint hint of Jesus will cover it. We're full. The schedule's full. Uh, life and opportunities and challenges, full. For some of us, anger, bitterness, disappointment. I'm full. But the busyness of the season, I'm full. I'm just full. I've got all I can handle. I can't do anymore. Not saying anything wrong, right or wrong about you, is it? But in that fullness, you can miss God. In that fullness, he can be standing right next to you and you never even acknowledge what has just happened in your life. Let's look at our second character, Simeon. Look at chapter 2 still, verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. 
And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, this would be his circumcision eight days later, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Now, Simeon has quite another experience in the innkeeper, doesn't he? Man, Simeon just gets a glimpse of this baby and immediately he knows he's in the presence of God. He begins to worship and to praise. And I love this line in verse 29. Now, master, you can dismiss your slave. You know what he's saying? You can kill me. Now, don't get nervous. I don't think coming close to God means you then have to next step be to want to die. (laughs) But what is he saying? I'm full. I've reached the pinnacle of life. I am as happy and as fulfilled. I'm as complete as it's ever going to get. God, if you want to bring me home right now, just go ahead and do it. That's pretty close to God, isn't it? That's somebody who's feeling pretty near to the Lord at this moment. Now, you may be saying, that. no, wait a minute, Pastor. You you said we weren't going to look at somebody who had supernatural help, but it says right here that the, the Holy Spirit told him he was coming. And then when he got in the building, it said right there, the Holy Spirit pointed him out. Well, yeah, that is supernatural help. But the help Simeon got at knowing who Christ was is no different than the help that every person in this room gets. The work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point out to you who Jesus is. To point out to you His voice. To make it clear how you can come close to Christ. Well, I, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's ever done that for me or not. Oh, shh. Don't say that out loud. That's a confession. You just said I'm a whole lot more like the innkeeper than I am Simeon. The Holy Spirit is speaking in your life. And His Word is to point out to you Christ. If we're not hearing, it's because we're full. Maybe full of bad things, maybe full with wonderful things. Either way, we're full. Look at one more character, Anna. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years. Now, man, this woman is old. Look at this, y'all. She's lived, she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then he died, and she was a widow for 84. So she's 91 years old, plus however old she was when she got married, which would have been probably at this culture, time and age, probably somewhere between 12 and 14. So she's, she's, she's packing 105 years at least, okay? She's doing very well here. Now look at what she did as a 105-year-old woman, and it sounds like she'd done this for decades. It says she did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, here again, just like Simeon, she just catches a glimpse. She just gets a glimpse of the baby. At that very moment, she came up and she began to thank God. And to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. 
Now, Anna's experience in the temple, Anna's experience with Christ is, is very much like that of Simeon. She sees him and man, she is immediately in the presence of God, immediately enjoying the experience of knowing and being with God. Now, here's my question. What's the difference? What's the difference between Anna and Simeon and the innkeeper? Now remember, I'm going back to, to one of the original Christmas verses. I'm going back to that prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. That w- what is Christmas about? What is Jesus about? It is about God being with us. The, the living God of the universe becoming a God who's very near. A, a God who's right next to me and with me. Okay, that's part of this equation. Now in this equation, God's not the variable. God's very consistent. God's very clear. He's there for you, for me, for everyone. So as we try to evaluate how does this relationship happen, the issue's not God, it's you and me. And on this side of the equation, like I said already, we've got people whose lives are changed as they come to know God. Then you've got others who can stand right in His midst and never know they were there. What's the difference? Here it is. And I thought long about this. The innkeeper's life is about the innkeeper. I'm not saying he's selfish or greedy or self-centered or mean. I'm saying absolutely nothing negative about him in that statement other than his life was focused on making his life happen. Anna and Simeon, their life is about God. Anna and Simeon's life is about God. You know, folks, think about this. People try God, don't they? They tried the God thing. I, I, I want to be happier. I, I, I need this fixed in my life. I need this added to my life. I need this taken out of my life. They need something. And, and, and someone tells them something or they read something and they hear something. And say, you know what? I'm going to try this God thing out for a while. But folks, you know what? They're not drawing near to God. And they're not going after God. They're going after something for their own life. Their life, their pursuit of God is about the advancement of their life. It's not about God. It's not about getting near to God. The goal is not getting to know Him. The goal is getting something for their life. And they're just trying God out as a way to get it. That's not trying out God. But what I see here in Anna and Simeon is that their life is all about God. It's about nothing else. There seems to be, it it seems to me to be irrelevant to them whether they get anything out of it or not. The only goal in their life is to know God, is to have God, is to see God. I started thinking about this. and, And folks, I really think this is a huge issue. I mean, we're talking about whether people find God or not. We're talking about people who say they've sought God and then walk away and say, you know what, the God thing didn't work for me. Why is that? Especially when we have a promise from God that if you're drawing near to Him, if you're coming after Him, you're going to get Him every single time. So why are people walking away saying, no, I did that and I didn't get anything from God? And I started thinking about these people who are finding Jesus right here. I think about the promises of God. I'm, I'm trying to understand this whole concept of my life being about my life. And, and maybe I'll use God as a way to help my life. Or whether my life is about nothing more than God himself. And all of a sudden, all these biblical characters and passages started rushing at me. And it all started to come together. Uh, you know, I, I thought of uh, Moses. 
Moses is leading two million people through the desert. The challenges, the opportunities, the problems that come with that. You talk about a guy that needs God. You talk about a guy that's got a list of, you know, 100 items long of what I need you to fix and to do. And yet Moses, in this context of this passage, is saying, God, all I want to know is that you're with us. I don't care what tomorrow brings. I don't care where we go tomorrow. I just need to know that when we get to tomorrow, you're going to be there with us. And then he says, God, please, I just want your glory. God, I just want you. Do you see that in Moses? David says, I long, I yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. John the Baptist he meets Jesus and gives one, I think, most profound lines in all of Scripture. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. Folks, I would suggest that one verse right there says we've got a big problem in American Christianity. Because I think all too often we've turned the American Christianity into Christ is just the best self-help model. Christ is the best way for you to get the life you're after. We have whole denominations who teach that basically God's up there to make you happy and wealthy and healthy and rich and, and, that, and that He's just up there to expand and multiply your life. Man, that wasn't what John the Baptist thought. He got one glimpse of Jesus and said, Oh my gosh, my life has to become a whole lot less. And everything about my life must become more and more about the exaltation of Him. Not the advancement of me and my agenda, but the advancement of Him and His agenda. It's all about Him. And I don't know that anybody says it any more directly and concretely than David. He says, you know, I consider all things, I consider everything, everything that's my accomplishment, everything that I would depend upon, everything that promotes me, I consider all of that to be an utter loss in the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. My goal, my goal is to know Him. Now folks, what do you hear, what do you hear in Anna? What do you hear in Simeon? What do you hear in Moses? What do you hear in David? What do you hear in John the Baptist? What do you hear in Paul? What's their desire? What's their passion? What's the one thing they want in life? They want God. They would have absolutely no concept of five minutes a day with Jesus. They would have no concept of a faint hint of Jesus. Their life was about Jesus. Their marriage was about Jesus. Their finances were about Jesus. Their successes were about Jesus. Their failures were about Jesus. Because both successes and failures can give me a greater opportunity to know my Christ, my Savior, and my Lord. The good days, guess who they're about? Jesus. The bad days, they're about Jesus. School, work, friends, one goal, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, do you, is this coming together a little bit? Do you see the difference? Folks, a lot of people come out, you know, I'm trying God. I'm going to try the God thing. I want this changed in my life. As a matter of fact, we go through a season right now where, where this happens for a lot of folks. 
You know, they're, they're thinking about God and New Year's resolutions around the corner. And man, maybe we ought to try church. Maybe we ought to try God. Maybe that'll make a difference. And so many of them, by January 22nd, will be done trying God. They're still wanting. And they'll leave having said, God failed. God didn't work. Oh, that promise? Come near to God and I'll come near to you. No, I did that. I, I went up to the building. I prayed. I tried out God. It didn't work. They weren't drawing near to God. They were drawing near to the answer that they wanted. Now, folks, here's the incredible thing. God's not opposed to you coming to Him for what you need. He has what you need and He loves sharing. He loves giving. God doesn't have a problem with you coming to Him for all of the things that you need in life. He does want you to want Him at least as much as you want His stuff. Does that make sense? And you know what? The Bible actually shows us a lot of examples of God giving His stuff to people who are just seeking the stuff. And you know what? The stuff doesn't make any difference. And they won't know Him any more after they have the stuff than they did before they were begging for the stuff. God does ask that you want Him as much as you want His stuff. When you think about this, I mean, for me, folks, there's so much of the New Testament that just starts to come together. Think of what Jesus said to us in Mark 8, 35. He said, if you pursue your life, you're going to lose it. If you pursue me and the gospel, you're going to get it. You, you hear what Jesus is saying there? If you pursue life, you're going to lose everything in the end. If you pursue me, you're going to get both me and life. You, you get it all. I mean, folks, it's just absolutely that simple. Don't pursue you. Just pursue him. Now, here's the challenge. Do we trust him? I mean, who knows better what I need in life than me? I know where I need to be promoted. I, I, I know you to know how things need to be pushed and manipulated and taken care of so that I get what I want in that moment, so that I get what I need. I also know the things I don't like in life. I know how that person, we need to get rid of them. And I know how I need to bring revenge against that person. And I know what needs to be told about that person. And I mean, I've got all of these things from the positive to the negative to the siding to the fearful. I've got all of these things and I know how to take care of them for the well-being of me. And if I'm not taking care of me, who's going to take care of me? Oh, Jesus just wants me to run around after him. But I got a lot bigger job to do than that. I got to take care of me. Well, Jesus makes a great deal with us. You know the verse, Matthew 6, 33. He says, I'll tell you what. You just come after my kingdom. Let your life be about nothing but my father's rule and reign in your life. Every day, all you're thinking about is, what does it look like if God is ruling in my life in this situation, in this relationship, in this problem, in this opportunity, in this decision, in this challenge? What does it look like if God is reigning, if I've got a king in my life? Jesus says, just pursue that. And pursue righteousness. What does it look like if I'm living right with God? What does it look like if I'm living right with others? Jesus says, just pursue that. 
And I'll take care of all the other stuff. Is this starting to come together for you yet? You see this theme running all the way through. I mean, starting in the Christmas, starting in the prophecy of Jesus coming to the Christmas story on through Jesus teachings on into the people who know him. Do we trust him? When you pursue God. What are you pursuing? That's a huge question. Do not be fast to answer it. When you are pursuing God. Are you pursuing God? Or are you pursuing what you need out of him? How do you know the difference? Here's maybe a way. God, I need you to do this. But don't do it. Until I want you more than I want that. Did you catch that? Did that make sense? God, here's here's where I need you to work. Here's what I need you to fix. Here's what I need you to provide. Here's what I need you to change. But God, in this moment where I'm feeling empty and dependent upon you, don't do any of that stuff until I'm ready to say, but God, I want you more than I want that. You, You don't even have to fix it. Leave me in this place where I want you more. And here's the promise of Christmas. You'll find God every single time. Folks, think how many things we can go running after and pursuing and looking for and trying to find and not get it. But God's made a promise to you. I'm the God who's near. I'm the God who's with you. If you're drawing near to me, you will find me 100% of the time. There will never be a human on this planet who wants God and walks away saying God didn't show up. God wasn't there. Question is, will I let go of running after my life? Do you see the difference between the innkeeper and Annie and all Annie and Simeon wanted was God. And so there was no way they missed it when he showed up. The innkeeper had God in his backyard and never knew what happened. Gosh, how do I do that? How how do I trust Christ for that? Uh, uh, What does that look like? What does that look like to not be pursuing my life and and to start pursuing Christ? Now, folks, you know, I'm real big on finishing sermons with the how to the homework for this week, what we do tomorrow. But you know what? This isn't about an activity. This is about the attitude of our heart. You see what God is saying here in this promise? You see what he's saying in that prophecy of God being with us? If you want me, I'll show you the process. I'll show you what to do next. You don't have to worry about what the next step is. If you want me, you're going to get me. Every single time. Because I'm the God who's with you. Christmas guarantees if we're pursuing God, And do we understand what pursuing God means? Christmas guarantees that if we're pursuing God. We're going to find him every single time. Isn't that good to know it's not left up to me and my wisdom and my ability to figure it out. Jesus has come to be near. Jesus has come to be God with me. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. 
Father, I would pray for each person in this room. Discernment. Discernment and discipline. Lord, would you give us discipline somewhere in the course of this next week to just stop for a moment and evaluate what am I really after when I say I'm after God? Whether it's, it's, it's getting up and going to church or opening my Bible to read it or, or, or stopping and praying. God, give me discernment to look inside my heart and my mind and see what it is I'm really after. God, would you put in our heart a desire and a faith like that of Anna and Simeon. Like your great servants, Moses and David and Paul and John the Baptist. God, these are regular people, real people who wanted nothing more than you. God, would you build that attitude, that desire in my life? Build that attitude and that desire in our life. God, I thank you that you're so gracious and so giving and you do provide. But God, if I'm after your stuff. More than I am you. Would you show me this week? And God, could it change my life? I don't want to go back and forth. I want it to change forever. Oh God, that I may know and have and see your glory. May my only goal in every circumstance, every relationship of life, may my only goal be to know you. It's in your name we pray.